Well, good morning, ZPC. How are you? We, uh, before I begin uh, this morning, I just want to kind of point out uh, one thing to you. Hopefully you saw it in the bulletin, um, which is that Megan and I uh, are inviting uh, our family at ZPC to come over uh, to our house for an open house uh, on November the 15th, Saturday, November the 15th. And um, just to let you know, give a little bit more detail, how it's going to work is it's going to be from 10 uh, to 4, uh, but we're asking you to kind of sign up because I think our neighbors would be livid uh, if, if we had so many folks there at one time. And so uh, it'll be kind of hour and a half slots. You don't have to stay for the whole hour and a half. You can just make an appearance if that's what you want, do whatever you want, uh, from like 10 to 11.30, 11.30 to 1, 1 to 2.30, and 2.30 to 4. Uh, and, and we're doing this uh, for a couple of reasons. One of them, um, I was struck again, uh, we had elder training a few weeks ago, and, and we have three passages, scripture passages, that we like to point out uh, when it comes to elders and, and as it describes elders. And in two of the three, two of them, as I recall, said something about them not being lovers of money. Uh, which is significant. Um, And then the other one is that they would be people who are hospitable. And so we feel like it's actually the calling of of all elders um, to be hospitable in some form or fashion, to to, to be able to to open themselves up, uh, perhaps even open their homes up uh, to others. And so we want to do that. Um, We also want to, uh, it it is November, and at this point it will have been almost a year that we've been here, and we want to kind of do it as a a sign of kind of saying thank you. Thank you for for the care that you have taken of us. Thank you just for uh, allowing us into your lives what a blessing it's been. And I know some people will be like, oh, they don't really want people to come and they're hoping they not. And I, I want to be honest with you. On November 14th, we will be thinking that. We will be thinking, what were we thinking? Why are we having all of these people come over, right? And there may be a little tension even between me and Megan. It was your idea. No, it was your idea. And, um, you know, can we just shut out the lights and hide? All of that. But on the evening of November 15th, we will be very happy uh, that you came over. And so, uh, so, again, so I encourage you, you can either sign up um, out at a, at a table out in the gathering space or you can sign up online, uh, either of those. We would love to have you just kind of come over for a little bit. Um, we don't have a, a massive house or anything. It may even be a little tight in there, but we'll be fine. Um, and so uh, we'd love to have you kind of come over and just allow us an opportunity um, to serve in some way and just uh, and to share some more time with you. So this morning, uh, we're focusing obviously on Moses. And again, we can't do the whole Moses story. Um, so what we're going to focus on this morning is the initial call around the, uh, around the, um, the fiery bush, if you will. And the, um, so we are going to focus then this morning on Exodus chapter 3. Verses 1 through 15. And so I invite you uh, to kind of listen and to hear these words. Moses was keeping, his, keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come. Now I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, gathering together to worship, to give you praise for the ways that you have been alive in our lives. We pray now, Lord, that even in this somewhat short time, that you would speak to us. That you would open us up to what you would have us to hear. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, my guess is that for most of you, just like last week when we talked about Joseph, most of you are probably uh, pretty familiar with the story of Moses. It's a story that, uh, that again, we... uh, uh, if we learned it as children, we oftentimes really like. Um, uh, and so let me just kind of give you just quickly a real brief history to get to, gets us to this third chapter. Remember, of course, that Joseph and his family were now all in Egypt, and, and they began procreating, and they began to get larger and larger until the Egyptians were getting kind of nervous. 
because they were afraid they were going to start outnumbering them. And so they began to make it mandatory that they were going to start killing the children of the Israelites. They were going to do population control. And so Moses' mother is pregnant. She, of course, knows this rule. And so she, she tries to hide this child. And she makes a little boat, an ark, if you will. And she sets it in the river and sets the child inside and sets it off. Well, as luck would have it, or if you um, follow God, as providence would have it, Pharaoh's daughter was there at the riverside and she saw this child and she took this child and she decided to have it as her own. And, 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 and not only that, of course, but then Moses' mother was actually able to become the nanny, if you will, to her own child. And Moses was able to be raised up in the royal family. And as time kind of progressed and Moses got older, he, he began to realize that his people were suffering. He began to hear the cries of his brother and sister Israelites. And so he, he, he decided as he was sitting there one day, as he was watching one of his uh, Israelite brothers be beaten, he, he decided to take justice into his own hands. And so he beat and then killed the Egyptian who had killed the Israelite. And then he was afraid, and understandably so. And so he fled away from Egypt and he ended up in Midian, which is where he is now, he married and he has become a shepherd. And so Moses is going about his everyday life, his work job, walking to and fro when he comes across this bush that is on fire and yet will not burn up. Moses is understandably curious, and so he, he stops, and he, he walks over to the bush, and God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. God tells him quickly that he's on holy land, and he needs to take off his sandals, and so that's exactly what he does. And, and then he says to Moses, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Now, I want to just take a quick aside here to point out how interesting that introduction is. Because clearly, God could have just simply said, I am God. But he didn't. Instead, he wanted Moses to know that he was the same God who had been the God of his father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, he wanted Moses to know that Moses was a part of a larger story. This wasn't just about Moses. This was about a large story that God had begun long before. And in fact, in verse 15, maybe you heard it, God wants Moses to tell the Israelites that as well, that he is the God of their ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they are a part of a larger story. I was in here a little bit late this morning because I was up um, uh, talking to some of our inquirers. And what I do every, every time we have an inquirer's class for those who are wanting to become members, I begin by drawing a timeline, a timeline that starts with creation. And then it kind of goes throughout, right? And, and, and so when we, we talk about creation, and we talked about this seven or eight weeks ago now, right? About creation is a sign of God's love and care for us. And when he calls people like Abraham, he tells them 
that they are loved by God and that they are then called to go out and to share that love. God said to Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing, right? And last week when we looked at Joseph, right, God was with Joseph the whole time, a clear sign that that God loved Joseph even through those difficult times. But then Joseph ends up helping to stave off starvation for his family, for the Egyptians, and from those from surrounding countries who can make it. In other words, he was blessed to be a blessing. And then, of course, you've got Moses, and you know the story, right? And God's coming down and calling out Moses out of love for him, and then wants him to go and share that love via helping the Israelites to be freed from the bondage that they are in. And what is important for all of us to know is that just as Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Israelites were a part of the larger story of God, so too are each and every one of us a part of this larger story of God, that we are blessed and we are loved in order to help others to go out and experience that same love. And I think that is vital for us to see. Because so often we forget that what we are a part of here is a larger mission that God has been doing for generation after generation. And the reason why I think that's significant is because too often we think when we're doing something for ZPC, we're just helping ZPC out. And I want you to know that when you say we are going to, I just saw a sign out there, we're going to help to give out donuts to people on Sunday morning. I want you to know you're not just giving out donuts. You're not just fattening people up, though that is part of what you are doing. What you are also doing is you are saying, just as Christ offered us something, as silly as this may sound, we are offering something to you, free of charge if you would like. It's always free of charge for me. I never leave a donation. You don't have to leave one. Free of charge, we're offering you something. When you go in and you say, we're going to teach Sunday school, you're not just going in there in order to wipe off snot from one of my daughter's noses. You are in there as a part of the larger commission of God. You are caring for the least of these. When you decide that perhaps God is calling you to be an elder or a deacon, you are doing that out of love and out of joining this larger commission that God has started from the very beginning. When you help out a shepherd or in building a house, when you do that, You're not just kind of doing something nice for ZPC or for Shepherd. You are joining this larger mission of God. One of the struggles that churches have always had, at least all the churches I've been a part of, and ZPC is certainly a part of it, is we're always looking for help. Right? We're always looking for volunteers. And I want you to know, I think we're calling it the wrong thing. You are not volunteers because this is not free to you. When you are offering something up, you are not simply doing it for ZPC. You are doing it as a part, sacrificially as a part of the larger mission of God. And it's fascinating because we do everything we can to make it seem as small as possible. Look, all you've got to do is just give us one hour of one month of your life. Can you do that for us, please? Just this, just this little bit. And we soft pedal it so much that I think we begin to wonder, at least subconsciously, whether it's actually even that important. Because if it doesn't cost you something, it isn't worth anything. 
And so I really think that what we should actually be doing is saying, no, this isn't something small. This is something immense because you are joining the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Greg, Billy, Jerry, Jim, all of our stories are underneath the larger story and commission of God. We are not volunteers. We are co-missioners on mission with God and with one another in order to share the love of God with others. I'm getting off the soapbox. Let's get back to the story. So there's Moses. And he says, here I am. God introduces himself. And then God begins to tell Moses that he has heard the cries of his people. That he has seen their suffering. That he knows that they have been enslaved. That he knows that they are hurting and in pain. That God has heard those cries and he is going to rescue them. Now put yourself in Moses' position. This had to be remarkable news. Remember, why is Moses in Midian right now? Because he was running away because of the fact that he had also heard the cries of his people and he had wanted to help them out. He had wanted to let at least one person escape. And now God says, I am going to rescue all of the Israelites. So if you are Moses, you are thinking, well, it took you a little while, God, but I'm pretty excited about this. This is phenomenal, right? Moses had to be getting pumped up, right? Finally, his family, remember, he still has family there, is going to be set free. But not only that, God goes on to tell him, and I am going to send them to a remarkable place, a place that is good and spacious. And in an agrarian society, what you want is space. Not only that, but it's a land full of milk and honey. I mean, Moses has got to be pumped up. And I, I already picture Moses, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is, uh, I'm taking a little bit of literal license, but if I were Moses, I would be thinking to myself, already, where is the best pyramid where if I get up top, I can see this happening. I want good seats for this. I want to be able to see all of the Israelites going out. You don't want to miss this. He's, he's setting up the tailgate party full of, full of mutton and delicious desert daiquiris. I mean, he is ready ready to go. This is what you want to watch. This is better than the Super Bowl. This is amazing to see all of your people, hundreds of thousands freed at last. And so there's Moses. He doesn't want to miss this. My guess is he's taking a step off the holy ground. He's putting the sandals back on. He's creating an invitation list. He is ready to go. And then God says to him, all right, Moses, go. And he says, you know, I'm going. I can't wait. And then God says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to release my people from Egypt. What does Moses say? Well, (laughs) who am I? 
Blaise Pascal has said, I think I've shared this, that the longest distance in the world is the distance between the head and the heart. And I think that perhaps the shortest distance in the world is the distance between here I am and who am I? Everyone says, here I am when things are theoretical and when we can just sit back and watch something incredible happen. But when we realize that we might be a part of the game, when we are, our lives are in direct fear, when we realize that ourselves and we know our own inadequacies and weaknesses, that they are being called upon, all of a sudden we are very quick to say, who, who am I? Surely there's somebody else. God, though, he, he seems fairly nonplussed by this. This isn't a big deal for God. He, he almost seems to know what's going to happen. He is God. And so he, he says to him, he says, don't, you know, don't worry about it, Moses. I will be with you. And Moses probably is not overly impressed by that. And so, so God goes on and he gives him a sign. Do you remember what the sign is? The sign, God says, that I am with you is that when you have returned with the Israelites, you will worship me on this mountain. Did that strike anyone else as an odd sign? So, so listen to this. If you're Moses... And you are frightened because you don't want to go to Pharaoh where there's a good chance you might die. You're one person, right? Think about this. And he are already picturing this. He's going to go up to, to them and say, hey, by the way, Pharaoh, I'm going to go ahead and just take your whole workforce if that's, if that's okay with you. And we're going to head out. Is that, is that cool? All right. And, and to think that there's no way that Pharaoh is going to take that. And, and God says, I will be with you. And, and the sign that he gives is once, once you have already returned from Pharaoh, then you will know that I am with you. You know what I call that? Worst sign ever. That's like being on a plane, you know, and you're nervous about the parachute opening up and saying, hey man, can you, is there some kind of sign you can say that just to make sure this parachute's going to open? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. Here's the sign. When you're walking on solid ground, you will know that everything was fine. A little late, am I right? I mean, at least it could have said, you know what, maybe like when I'm walking there, maybe I'll have a set of footprints that are yours that are walking next to me, right? It sounds like a poem, right? But he gets nothing like that. Clearly Moses is concerned, right? And so he, he then kind of, you know, he says, okay, well, what about this? When I get there, who, who am I supposed to say you are? And God says, oh, don't worry about it. I got that one covered. You tell them, I am, huh? Who I am. Real helpful. Uh, but now some scholars say, well, it doesn't have to mean that. It can also mean I will be who I will be. Also not helpful. In fact, scholars have spent Tons of time and money and thousands of killed trees full of paper trying to figure out what exactly that means. Why doesn't God just give them a little bit more meat? I mean, this is a big deal. Why just kind of my name is a verb, if you will. It doesn't make sense. And one, one commentator I was reading this week talked about the fact that in, in some ways what's happening is that, is that he's not wanting to give them a name because he's wanting them to realize and to understand who he is only after they have begun to follow him. 
That you will only understand who God is as you begin to actively follow him. And if you feel like you've got the name, you think maybe you've got it figured out, you may not actually follow. And, and in order to really understand the depth of who God is, you have to be willing to take risks and follow God. Which makes some sense of the initial sign that God had given Moses. Which is that you will only know that God is with you after you have followed him and done what he has called you to do. Only when you have been willing to take steps with God that you will really begin to see how God is there. In other words, you can't just know who God is and that God is with you if all you're doing is hanging out in holy places. And I think that's significant for us. Many times in the last several weeks, I have talked to you about our mission statement. The mission statement of ZPC, called together by God. You should be getting this by now. Called together by God to make disciples and to release them for service into our broken world. I've told some of you this, but I have one major issue with our mission statement. I like it by and large, but I have one major concern, which is that most of us read things and think of things chronologically. And if you do that with the statement, then we are in trouble. Because if you believe that what happens is you're called together by God, then you're made a disciple, and then you are released for service into our broken world, then we are in trouble. Because I want you to know that becoming a disciple and understanding what it means to be a disciple does not just happen here. It happens as you are released and as you are out in the broken world. In other words, as you are going to Egypt and as you are facing Pharaoh, that is when you become more and more a disciple. And if we are waiting until we know exactly what God's name means, if we know exactly who God is, and if we can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is with us to go out and do anything, then we will never go anywhere. We will simply sit back and do nothing. And what I have told you all, I said this many months ago now, is that our worship service here and what kind of worship service it is here has much less to do with how good the singing is or how good the preaching is or lack thereof or how good anything is and much more to do with whether or not when you were out at your home and in your work and in your neighborhoods, you were serving and following God. Because if you are in your Egypt and in your home and in your neighborhood, and at your work, if you are following God and becoming a disciple out there, then it will change dramatically our worship that goes on here in a holy place, if you will, with the fiery bush. And if all you are doing is coming in here and warming up to the fire, then we are in trouble. It might be comfortable. But I can assure you it is not making much of a difference in the kingdom of God. And it is certainly not helping others to be freed from the chains of sin, of poverty, and of pain. But I also want you to know that if all we do is for me to talk about this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 
and do nothing else. And if all of our structure and our energy as a church is focused on what goes on here right now on Sunday mornings, then nothing is ever going to change. It is like going to a Weight Watchers meeting and then spending the rest of the week at McDonald's and wondering why you're not seeing any changes. And so one of the things that we have to focus on and we have to ask ourselves are, what kind of structures do we have in place here at ZPC? And how can we make sure that everything isn't just geared towards what's going on right here? I think we have to figure out what are different kinds of ways that we can do things. Now, we certainly have some of those, but I think we need even more dramatic changes. One of the greatest things, of course, we can do, this isn't rocket science, is to make sure that we are gathering not just here on Sunday mornings, but that we are gathering perhaps in other places throughout our communities and in smaller groups of people so that we can be challenged and encouraged in how, what kind of disciples we are becoming. And it's for that reason that starting in January, and again, this is nothing brand new by any stretch, but we are going to re-energize and refocus on small groups, or as we're going to call them, home groups. Now, I know you guys have done small groups. I know this isn't brand new to you all, but I also know this. As an outsider, it is not in ZPC's DNA. Do you know what is in ZPC's DNA? What do you think is in ZPC's DNA? Great banquet. And why do I know it's in ZPC's DNA? Because you won't shut up about it. I mean, you are always asking me and others, have you been to Great Banquet? It is in your DNA. Nobody has asked me if I'm a part of a small group. And I think that means clearly it is not a part of everything that we do. And so while some of you may say, well, we're in small one, it is not a part. It is not woven in. And we have to figure out how do we get that ourselves to a place where we make sure that we aren't just stuck in here. Winston Churchill, I say this, uh, this quote all the time, but it is so significant, says, we shape our structures and then our structures shape us. Which means we have to ask, how are we structured? Now, this isn't brand new, and even, even this kind of recent uh, revitalization, if you will, has been going on now for about six or seven weeks. We, we have about 40 ZPCers who are already now meeting in small groups. And we are hoping in January that those folks, we've told them this going in, are going to break off all of them in order to help form other small groups. They are going to be the leaders, if you will. And what they're doing is they're talking about, not just anything, but they're talking about the scripture passage that had just been preached on. So that on Monday night or, or Friday night or Friday morning, they can get together, let's say this week, and they can ask themselves, what does this actually mean for us? Where is our Egypt? What does it mean for us to follow God if I'm an accountant or if I own dry cleaners or if I'm a financial planner or if I am a homemaker or if I'm jobless? What does it really mean for me to be a disciple? And, and who is God, not just here on Sunday mornings, but who is God throughout the week? things that we cannot do in here. It's too big of a group. And we're, we're cloistered off. 
And so one of the questions could be as we're sitting there at someone's house, let's say you're at my house, you can come up to me and you can say, Jerry, how, how is it that you're loving your neighbor? The, the guy that lives right there, do you know that person? That's going to be awkward for me if I haven't met that person, especially since I've been talking about it a lot. It is a way to make sure to keep us accountable because we genuinely believe that discipleship must happen in other places than just here. And so I want to say this now. There are lots of other details. We're not going to give them all out right now. But I I want to hope that you would begin praying about that even now. And begin saying, Lord, is this something that you are wanting me to be a part of? And I want you to know that God's answer is yes. I genuinely believe that. It may be a struggle. It may not be easy. But we're here to help you to figure out what is a group that you can be a part of so that we can make sure that we are not just warming ourselves by the fire on Sunday mornings, but that we are actively calling out and going out into our Egypts and beyond. Session and staff are excited about this possibility. And we're excited about this possibility because we believe while it will not solve all of our discipleship issues, we think it is the right next step. The right place for us to gather together and to say, how can we follow and be a part of this mission of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you, and me? And how can we do so in ways that we are being shaped more and more into disciples as we are released into our broken world? So that no chain of sin, of poverty, of pain will remain attached to those who are in great need of the freedom and the redemption and the forgiveness and the hope of Christ. May it be so. Amen.